and welcome to another edition of the Beervana podcast. With me is Jeff Allworth, as always. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Jeff. We're here in the heart of Portland, Oregon once again. Another beautiful day in Portland, and, and actually it, it is sort of a beautiful day. The, the heat has, has abated, and we, well, it's only going to be 90 today. Yeah, we've been in the midst of an impressive, oh, oppressive heat wave, and uh, today is actually quite nice. Uh, Jeff, of course, is the author of The Beer Bible from Workman Publishing, due out in August 2015. Get your copy now. One month. Available for pre-order. Uh, and Cider Made Simple from Chronicle. Uh, you can pre-order both. Yes. Now at Powell's? Ooh. Absolutely. Okay, I got to pre-order my Cider Made Simple then. Uh, you can find him blogging at the Beervana blog, of course. And with me is Patrick Emerson, who is a professor of economics at uh, Oregon State. Oh, Patrick. That sounds good. What do you got there? <laughs> well, it's been hot. <laughs> That's uh, that's quite a, a large beer you're holding. <laughs> well, well, before before even tell you about the beer, uh, it comes in an enormous can, uh, 25 fluid ounces, proudly displayed, which is, as they note, one extra ounce. One extra ounce. Because you know. You don't want to be seen with just 24 fluid ounces. Jeff, what I have in my hands is the Bud Light Lime Strawberryita, and it's wafting. Uh, Quite uh, an Yeah, we don't need to decant this because the flavors might get... Well, okay. Uh, I'm going to have a tipple. Excuse me. <laughs> well, while Patrick's over there drinking his strawberryita, uh, you may be wondering uh, why, since we're known uh, somewhat famous in the podosphere. <laughs> oh, if only you could see the look on your face. <laughs> That's... Um... <laughs> uh, for, our, for our connoisseurship... That's not beer. Um, so, wh- so what are we doing? Why, why did you crack this strawberry Well, Jeff, I'm sure you understand the plight of the big macro brewers. The share of overall beer consumption is way down. Mm, around 1990, we were consuming almost 26 gallons a year per capita. Now we're about down to 19. And right. a lot of that decline, it's actually more than, the, than that decline, is the macro lagers. So in 1990... Uh, there was 195 million barrels of macro lagers being brewed. That's almost 96% of the market. Uh, and that volume has dropped uh, 23% um, to just over 150 million barrels by 2013. So here you got these big brewers. Wow. They've got these massive breweries. They know how to make alcohol from malted grains. And fewer and fewer people are buying what they want to make. So what do they do? Uh, they make, <laughs> they make they give you one extra ounce of strawberry. They, they make things like strawberry, but this is a big and massively growing segment of the market. It's almost impossible to miss. I'm sure you've seen the ads out there for Bud Light Lime, which we're sampling now. Ah. Uh, Jeff's reaction is even more delightful than mine. Uh, <laughs> mixed Tales, another one, Smirnoff Ice, uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade. And not only the big traditional macro brewers, but even some of the big craft brewers have gotten into this market as well. In front of us, we also have Twisted Tea. Ah, yes, Twisted Tea from the mind of Jim Cook. (laughs) This is a Boston beer product along with uh, Angry Orchard, uh, two subsidiary companies that are apparently um, 
accounting for a large proportion of uh, Boston beer's success and growth lately. So we're here to talk about alternatives to traditional beer, but not just the macro brewers alternatives. We also have some micro brewers or craft brewer uh, alternatives as well, but uh, we'll start with the, uh, with the macros. Um, one thing I'll say as we get started is not only have uh, macro brewers responded to the market trends uh, by trying to come up with different types of malt beverages that they can sell, uh, but they've also responded to it by trying to get a toehold into the other rapidly growing segment of the market, which, as we know, is craft beer. Um, oh, pouring that out was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine a strawberry Jolly Rancher candy Whew. in liquid form, and you basically have the strawberryita both in taste and and uh, yeah, except for that there's a really horrible smell that sucker. So strawberryita, which was this was a surprise yeah, to me. Yeah, they've got some kind of lime flavoring on top of it as well. And it's but there's a chemical slick that comes off of that that does not taste like anything to do with a natural flavor. No, to me. It's there's absolutely nothing. The the fact that the alcohol contained in this can comes from the fermentation of malted barley, uh, excuse me, uh, is about the only connection it has to beer at all. So this stuff is 8%, uh, which is something we didn't realize until we grabbed one. Uh, it's actually mar uh, marketed as a margarita with a twist, even though it's from the Bud Light Lime division of Anheuser-Busch. Um, it, it's just terrible. So we before we got, uh, before we, began the podcast, we decided to look into what these things are, how they're made, and we noticed, when even when you look at a Smirnoff Ice uh, and uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade, both say premium malt beverage, which we found curious, since uh, lemonade and, and uh, uh, Smirnoff are not, I don't really think of them as malt beverages. So what we learned, what we think we learned, is that... Um, these big breweries have a lot of a ton of capacity, so they have these massive facilities just sitting there, and they already know how to make uh, large quantities of fairly flavorless stuff. So they do probably do a thing called high gravity brewing, which is uh, a process that industrial brewers learned uh, decades ago, where you brew a really strong beer uh, and then water it back down. And the the advantage of that is it takes a lot less space. The stronger the beer is, you can get it through the entire process. It doesn't take up as, up as much space. And then right before you bottle it and send it out, you water it down. So you don't have to be, you know, you're not spending money on, on liquid just sitting there. But it's also great if you want to take that as raw fodder and use artificial flavorings, or I guess these are natural flavorings, which mm. don't seem too natural to the yeah. human. Um, and uh, just just flavor and color them and, and turn them into essentially alcoholic soda is what they really... Yeah, so what we learned uh, in our extensive research, um, which lasted about 10 minutes, is that uh, the phenomenon of these uh, flavored malt beverages apparently started with the Zima from uh, Coors at the time, before they were Miller Coors. Coors came up with this in 1994, and what they discovered is they could take the uh, beer they uh, brewed and filter it through a charcoal filter and basically strip it, strip that um, beer of its flavor and color. And then they had a neutral alcohol base uh, upon which they could sort of put any 
sort of flavoring and coloring. And they came up with Zima, and Zima was a runaway success for a very short time. <laughs> uh, and for those who are too young, Zima was a, a, a clear beverage, and I think one of its great claims to fame was that it was it came in this kind of faceted bottle, and it was clear. And for yes, at the same time, moment, this is also the same Cobain time they had what Pepsi Clear or, or right. some of the uh, cola companies were coming up with clear beverages as well. Right. So right in that early '90s period, um, that was all the rage, probably. And your finer discotheques and grocery stores. Yeah, so as an economist, it makes sense. You've got these big breweries. You're used to producing lots and lots of beer and selling it. The beer isn't selling as well as it used to, so you need to come up with some other product you can make with the same equipment and using the same distribution network and essentially in the same business segment. I mean, uh, I look at the macro brewers as um, sort of distributors of uh, single-serving alcoholic drinks, um, you put it in the same cans, you put it on the same store shelves, uh, you make it with the same equipment. Um, and so it makes sense if you can create a new segment of the market that's growing. And uh, it's growing a lot. In fact, the fact that I grabbed the strawberry off the shelf wasn't a uh, accident because I have a little industry report from 2013. That's the latest uh, year we could get. And the segment, by the way, in this industry report, at least, I don't know if this is the common the term of art, but it's progressive adult beverage. Ah. So we apparently are drinking progressive adult beverages here. I found a, I found something that's called them uh, flavored malt beverage. So there you go. You can choose your term of art. So it turns out that in 2013, the top new brand was Bud Light Strawberryita, and it had uh, actually all of progressive adult beverages saw a year-over-year 30% growth in 2013. Uh, and uh, the top seller was, uh, or the top gainer, excuse me, was Bud Light Strawberryita. So, um, so that's why I decided that we must discover what Strawberryita is actually like. Well, uh, the, the other thing, by the way, excuse me, is that yeah. um, uh, apparently the big market segment that they're going for are new, newly uh, of age drinkers who may be used to, one, lots of soda and right. not alcohol. Right. Two, are looking for a fairly efficient way to consume alcohol. 8% Thus the 8% strawberry. <laughs> a 25-ounce can. By the way, this cost me two seventy nine at the local plaid pantry, which, for those of you not local, is essentially 7-Eleven uh, for 25 fluid ounces. That includes the one extra ounce that I got, mm. apparently. Uh, and so that's a pretty big alcohol bomb there yeah and they so you can't see these but the strawberry rita is vivid red candy apple red the smirnoff ice is vivid orange but this has got to be a smirnoff ice screwdriver oh screwdriver okay and it's actually far less offensive than the i just cracked this one than the bud light yes try try that oh i should try, try that it. uh right. delightful tipple it this is 5.8%. Well, that's not bad at all, actually. No, that one's... I mean, after the strawberry <laughs> Strawberry was really... The strawberry is reason. truly offensive, by the way. I, I, I'm, I'm prepared to defend the market segment uh, as an economist, but there's no defense of that. No, it's... <laughs> as a beverage. It's really terrible. I mean, it's, it's, it's worse than the sort of crazy sodas my kids tend to be drawn to. So. Yeah, so these are extremely sweet. They're super bright colors. Uh, and when the... Smirnoff Ice and Mike's Hard Lemonade both come in clear glass, 
clear glassware so you can see the bright colors. Mm -hmm. They look just like sodas. They taste like sodas. Um, and if you've developed any kind of palate, uh, you're going to like your alcohol with a little bit more sophistication of flavor. You're going to want, uh, you know, a nice white wine or um, maybe a, a bourbon or a decent beer. So this is, it does really seem like this is a fairly transitional beverage for people who still have fairly juvenile palates mm -hmm. weaned on, on sugar. Now, I'm sure that if we'd called these companies up and asked who their target audience was, they would not tell us that that was high school students. But my guess is a lot of the stuff gets drunk by high school students. Yeah, they won't tell you it's high school students, but uh, I have read quotes that uh, identify the fact that they're, they're targeting the young market. So they're looking for the 21 to 35-year-old who are essentially in that transition period, uh, who don't have as much money to spend, perhaps, and who are looking to drink in probably higher right. than, than us middle-aged folks. So this Smirnoff Ice is fascinating. It has the flavor of a vodka in it. I don't know how they got that in there, because as we'll discuss here in a moment, um, there's a reason why all these things say flavored malt beverage on them. This thing does not have vodka in it, but we all know the famous Smirnoff name, so we expect it tastes like vodka, and, and it kind of does. It's got a a vodka-like bite. The miracle of modern food science. Yeah, they can do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They've they've found a way to kind of give you that that it sense. It tastes a little bit like a cocktail. Yeah, we don't have the. I guess the traditional Smirnoff ice is a lemonade sort of type drink. Yeah. Uh, Remember that traditional thing, but let's before because I think that's an important part of <laughs> understanding these products. But um, we learned a little something in our ten minutes of research about why they're called malt beverages. There's something. There's a, a legal. The TTB has a legal category for malt beverage, uh, which you do you have that in front of you, or do you remember what it said? Uh, yeah, and I suspect that that the well, it's you know, it's a it's a crazy archipelago of different state laws that regulate sales of, of these beverages. Uh, for example, in Oregon, you can grocery stores and convenience stores can sell beer and wine, right. but not hard alcohol. Um, and I imagine that the distinction between a distilled spirit and a malt beverage is the key distinction in whether you're able to sell it in the, in the grocery store and a convenience store. And I, I assume that that's true in a lot of states. Um, so your point here is that to get these in as many markets as possible, they want it to be as close to beer for regulatory purposes as possible. Yeah, by, by coming up with malt beverages. Not only does it make sense because that's what they do in their big factories, but uh, by coming up with a malt beverage, they're able to sell it um, in these single-serving packages at these uh, retail outlets. So here's the distinction from the uh, beer of uh, uh, alcohol and tobacco and uh not alcohol, tobacco, and firearms anymore, is it? Anyway, TTB. alcohol and tobacco tax and trade bureau is what uh, this document is. Then okay. it says a malt beverage must derive at least 51% of its alcohol content from the fermentation of brewing ingredients, with stricter limits for products with an alcohol content of more than 6% alcohol by volume. So there you go. Uh, it's a it's a funny distinction because if you were to use vodka and water it down to 5%, it wouldn't be legal. But if you make a product out of uh, fermentation, uh, malt fermentation, that's 5%. It's totally legal. Yeah. So. By the way, there's another little interesting tidbit here. It says, when a malt beverage is made with the addition of spices, fruit, honey, or natural flavors, it requires specific labeling to indicate the class designation. 
uh, I wonder what happens with unnatural. Yeah, I wonder too. I noticed, uh, I was reading one of these and I noticed that it, it was boasting about its natural flavors. Uh, I, you know, the, as we, as we know, the government allows you to call lots of things, uh, quote unquote natural. So the sh yeah, exactly. If it's derived from no matter how, <laughs> how unnatural the process of derivation, if it comes from something that grows naturally, you can call it a natural flavor. So to give you a sense of, of the, the market, uh, in that same 2013 period, craft beer was up, and it depends on whether you're talking about by volume or by sales, but in, in the ballpark of 15% growth in 2013, craft beer. Saw. Okay. Uh, and these progressive adult beverages uh, were up over 30%. So this market is growing even faster than craft beer right now. It's very small, but in 2015, it has doubled. The size of the market has doubled over the fa past five years. Um, and is now 4% of the total beer market. Okay, so 4%, the total beer market is about 200,000 or 200 million barrels, so we're talking about 8 million barrels. Okay. Which is... Uh, not nothing. Not nothing. I think the craft market is something like maybe twice that big, so it's maybe our, this is already half as big as, as craft. But the interesting thing is, I think we can assume that this is not... If you're drinking a Mike's Hard Mango Punch, like the one that I just cracked... <laughs> yeah. You're probably so you. not considering, <laughs> thank you, you're not probably considering either having a Mike's or, say, <coughs> an upright four. You're probably not the same consumer. So my guess is if you're considering a Mike's, you're probably blowing off the Pabst, that this is, if you know, this is probably yeah. uh, cannibalizing somewhat from what in an earlier generation the, the person would have been drinking a Pabst. Now they have the choice to drink Mike's Hard Lemonade. Yeah, and I'll just say it's a sort of an, an, as an aside, I imagine that these are fairly popular with the college set, for example, but uh -huh. at least in Oregon, at Oregon State University where I teach, undergraduates are remarkably sophisticated about craft beer. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's just because we're in Oregon there's, and they're now, having made, no, they're now native to craft beer. They've grown up with it. It's been sort right. of a common thing. Uh, but I was quite surprised that the, the Econ Club, uh, the Economics Department's uh, undergraduate Economics Club, I took them out to the Rogue Brewery once um, to do a tour and talk to Jack Joyce, the now deceased, uh, may he rest in peace, um, founder of Rogue Brewing. And um, they, they they were quite, quite surprisingly knowledgeable about all the different Rogue products. I'm not even sure they were supposed to be knowledgeable in terms of how old they were, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, I was quite surprised. But I think that's kind of uh, a, a little bit of an exception, but I imagine that um, uh, the sales of these kinds of alcohol, beer-derived beer alcohol malt beverage products are... Uh, uh, are another offshoot of college student and, and uh, people of that age looking for something different than the macro loggers that um, were ever present when I was that age. Did you, I noticed that you looked at the label of, of Mike's Hard Mango Punch and then placed the bottle far from your body, but I, I didn't actually see you. Did you, did you enjoy I, it? You know, I haven't, I haven't actually tasted it, so here we I, go. I thought that maybe you'd, you neglected mm. that. Mm. We're drinking these so you don't have to. Yeah, um, this one is particularly um, awful. <laughs> Actually, it's not as bad as the Stravarita. I'll give it that. The yeah, so far the Stravarita has got the pole position on horrible. The Stravarita is really just sickly sweet. I can't even imagine 
getting through 25 fluid ounces of strawberry though. However, uh, th this isn't quite as sickly sweet, but it has a really chemically mango-y aroma and taste. It's a very artificial mango. Yeah. And that's not a good thing. It has a little bit of the quality of a, of a energy drink. Um, it's kind of got that sharp yeah. citrusy quality and it's extremely sweet. Yeah. It's very clear in, in all three cases that this is uh, going to appeal immediately to someone who's used to growing up drinking soda. Yeah, and it even says on here, contains alcohol in fairly large letters. letters I think. <laughs> in, case <you're> <laughs> in case you think you might be getting a Gatorade or, or something else. Uh, and it, it the alcohol is pretty well concealed in this. So um, I'm sure that for people who don't like the flavor of alcohol, which young people often have to learn that, um, this would probably be popular because it doesn't taste like alcohol. Yep. the One of the points that was made in this article that was talking about the, the rise and fall of Zima, the original malt beverage uh, drink, was that they were trying very hard not to uh, make it a drink of the female consumers as the wine coolers of um, uh, previously were. Ah, they had become ghettoized. They'd be, yeah, and so and so wine coolers were sort of effeminate and, and real men apparently didn't drink wine coolers. So they were of trying course. to come up with something that real men would drink, uh, but that was still this kind of sweet and, uh, and quaffable beverage. And by the way, the other point that was made, sort of speaking of the economics of this industry, is that it's relatively cheap, I imagine, to make these things. And uh, they actually charge a fairly premium price. So the margins on these beverages apparently are even better than the margins they get on their traditional beers. One thing uh, that I found interesting when we were thinking about what to talk about on this podcast, um, we we were talking about these products and a lot of times like the, uh, so the, the Smirnoff, this is the Smirnoff Ice Screwdriver and the Mike's Hard Mango Punch. In both cases, we were familiar with these products, but we had known earlier iterations of this Mike's Hard Lemonade and Smirnoff Ice non-screwdriver. I don't know. Mm. I don't even know what it was. But um, in both cases, we could not find those original products. They have already come, they've already gone on to uh, subsequent iterations of the same theme, mm -hmm. much like Strawberryita started out, uh, the Bud, Bud Light Lime thing started out with uh, Limerita. Yeah, that's right. There was no Limerita on the shelf. There was just the Strawberryita. So, and, and I think one other, like a Mangorita thing too. You, these things... I think the lesson here is that these things do taste bad and they burn out pretty fast. Yeah. They, uh, they, they, they have their moment in the sun where I guess people, it's hard to even say if they buy them more than once, but, um, but after a while they realize they're not very tasty and then they're looking for, for something else. So there's uh, quite a bit of churn through this whole thing. In fact, we got some uh, inside data from IRI, symphony that tracks supermarket sales and they keep this little running tally of uh the the brands that mm -hmm. were that landed really big with big splashes a few years ago and then had gone out of business and i think um in the 2000 the report for 2013 it it of the top 10 something like four or five were already no longer on the market they had they'd ceased to exist mm -hmm. because people found them so <laughs> repellent that the after a while um, they were moving on to whatever came next. So whether it's uh, hard mango punch or maybe it's punch is replacing lemonade. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm 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 just 
wondering here, you, you see the same kinds of things happening in mixed drinks and bars as well. You know, you, you have the fads that come through, the uh, the Long Island iced tea, and then the sex on the beach, and then the lemon drops, and, I, you know, lots and lots of these different sort of cocktails that come through, and yeah, made it way up to about 1997. We've gone back to, to uh, the, yes, the lemon drop. That was a that was a big fad there, very recently. I, I mock you. <laughs> we're old, uh, we're and old. whatever it is that the kids are drinking <laughs> these days, <laughs> that's right. We're old people, in case you didn't know that. Uh, but I think these things sort of uh, have their uh, have a very brief sort of moment in the zeitgeist and move on. In other words, that these kinds of flavors don't. You don't tend to keep coming back to, um, especially because they're so sweet, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, this is not just a macro brewer, uh, although you might argue that Boston Brewing has become a macro brewer. Uh, but uh, the Boston Brewing Company, the Sam Adams Company, um, it has their own line of, of malt beverages called Twisted Tea. And they also do the Angry Orchard ciders, but those are ciders. So let's stick with the malt beverages. Yeah, and I think this is interesting because uh, uh, Sam Adams brand, the Boston beer, uh, Boston beer makes Sam Adams, Adam, Sam Adams um, is in a little bit of the same problem that some of the bigger breweries are. They make two million barrels of their beer, uh, and just like, oh my, I'm putting I'm putting the Sam Adams, which is a 24 ounce big giant can. Next to the 25 ounce Bud Light, and now I see where the one extra ounce is. That's right. Okay. You can see that on a consumer, uh, you know, a thrifty consumer would make take note of that for a That's visual right. display. Anyway, the uh, Boston Beer Company grew in part because it became a national brand, so it continued to sell Sam Sam Adams Boston Lager, you know, push further out, further out, further out, and it grew that way. But once you become a national brand. Um, and then you're trying to defend your territory against little lo little breweries, little local breweries, little local breweries making other beers, while you've got an aging flagship like Boston Lager, which goes back to the mid-80s. Yeah. Um, you're actually not in a terribly different situation than Budweiser. That's right. So uh, Sam Adams has also had to begin to figure out other things. And I, I, I'm actually not that familiar with how successful the Twisted Tea is. I know that uh, Angry Orchard is insanely successful. It, one out of two ciders sold in America are an Angry Orchard, yeah. and um, they make just scads of the stuff. Yeah. That, um, that, by the way, is... Well, y you you try it and form your own opinion. The, the, the mix of the iced tea and the alcohol, to me, don't at no, all that's, mix. That's really bad. <laughs> it's, it's bad in a different way. It's not as sweet. Yeah, it's not, it's not cloying and sweet. Now you understand why I guess they make them sort of sweet, uh, because this is just a weird mix of sort of iced tea with a, with kind of an unpleasant alcoholic twang. Yeah. That's the the tea part is um, uh, it's not quite bitter, but it's not a sweet note. But it does, and that's a problem because it doesn't harmonize with the sweet note. Yeah. And then you've got the. The alcohol. So I'll be interested. I mean, I think that this is going to be an, a, a problem of. Yeah, I'm surprised this is popular. This all. is interesting. Is it popular? Well, we found it. I think it is popular. Uh, I, th I think this will be a, a common problem to a lot of craft brewers that uh, stick around and get big. Is that uh, I think it's sort of the life cycle, the maturation process. You know, Sam Adams Boston Longer is no longer new. It's no longer hip. It's no longer. It's still a good beer. Uh, um, I still enjoy it from time to time, but um, 
but it's hard to sort of stay fresh and relevant as a brewer. It's a little bit easier when you're smaller and more local. You keep coming out with specialty brews and seasonal brews, and you try to keep things fresh that way. But when you know a big part of your business rests on selling a right. high volume of a flagship beer, it gets it gets difficult. So I I imagine that a lot of uh, the older and bigger craft breweries are going to start facing some of these same issues. That's right. Even a uh, brewery like Sierra Nevada, which for uh, 25 years, something like 25 years, kept its same lineup. They also had to, the, you know, in order to keep their volumes up, they had to branch out. So, it, yeah, I think it's going to happen with everybody. Yeah. And so that actually kind of, it's sort of a nice little segue into this next uh, class of beers, which is beer, but with uh, a mix of, for example, lemon or lemon lemon juice or lemonade in the shandy example, or lemon soda, lemon juice, or lemonade in the Rattler. So why don't you tell us something about Rattlers and shandies, and then I'll... Yeah, I, you asked me about shandies earlier, and I told you I didn't know anything about them, and I, I, I had the opportunity to find out what a shandy was. Uh, and I, I failed to do that. So I'll just say what I said to you privately earlier, which is sh shandies are something to do with, it's an English thing. It's a, it's an old English, uh, preparation and it's beer and, and something. I think it's supposed to, is it beer and lemonade? I believe so. I believe that's the, that's sort of, and, 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 and what we have in front of us, by the way, I'll just say is, um, the marketing data I had from 2013, 2013, the market data I had where Bud Light Strawberry Rita was the number one fastest growing uh, progressive adult beverage. The number two is actually something called the Leinenkugel Summer Shandy. So in market terms, these are bunched in the same market as the alternatives, the, uh, the Bud Light Lime Strawberry Ritas. Uh, but this is really just a mix of beer and, uh, in this case, did they tell us if it's lemon juice? They do uh, beer and lemon juice, lemonade, or lemon um, soda. I think in most of these, it's either lemon juice or, or lemonade. Rat Radler actually does have a uh, a narrative that goes with it, which I think is completely ap apocryphal. I I doubt seriously that this Radler story. Oh, the is best true. stories are always apocryphal. So. It's that's true. Oh, twist on liney. Uh, so the story is that there is some Bavarian uh, brewer uh, who is on the circuit of a bicycle race or bicycle r tour, bicycle ride, mm -hmm. and he runs out of Hellas beer. And this is why I believe it is apocryphal, because I can't imagine a Bavarian brewer ever running out of Hellas beer. <laughs> seems to me completely unlikely. But in a panic, he looks down in his basement and he sees he's got a bunch of uh, lemon lime soda. So he decides to... Uh, mix the two and call it a Rattler, which means bicycle or bicyclist. My, again, my German, I'm sure we have German speakers who are listening to this, who are uh, slapping their foreheads because I don't know exactly what it means, uh, but it, but it refers to a bicyclist. Uh, and it has uh, a, a completely respectable status in Germany. People drink Rattlers all the time. It's not considered a debased product. So it's, it's really, it's really common. Um, and it's usually uh, something like Hellas beer and lemon lime soda. I have seen 
uh, vice beer and lemon lime soda as well. So that's what Rattler comes and we've got here in front of us a Hopworks Rattler, which I think is a great idea because Hopworks has really associated itself with, with bicycles. Their main brewery has got all kinds of bicycle stuff and then they opened their secondary pub and called it the, uh, the bike pub. And uh, so choosing a Rattler is a good call for Hopworks. So uh, this is Kugel's Summer Shandy. The label gives nothing away other than it's a lemon. They've got lemons on the label, and it calls it a shandy. It doesn't say what the base beer is, and it doesn't say whether it's lemonade or lemon juice. Um, but Kugel's is not exactly a craft brewer. They're a regional uh, macro lager. How would you describe them? Well, yeah, you and I were living in, in Wisconsin uh well, about about in the era of uh, Zima, when Zima was popular, and uh, Liney was was a, just a regional brewery then, and they had one product. It was Line and Kugel's uh, Lager, Lager, and it was a classic. And a lot of people in uh, Wisconsin drank Liney, so that was kind of like the cool. That's the right. cool thing. By the way, in, in, if you want to be in the in crowd in Wisconsin, we call it Liney's. Liney's. Um, yeah, this is a fixture of my youth misspent in uh in wisconsin so i have poured this out it definitely has they are uh, as you noticed or as you noted um no longer independent uh they're they were uh purchased by sab miller or purchased purchased probably by uh miller or coors or one of them before they merged mm -hmm. but now anyway that's it's a brand in the i think it's mostly in the kind of in the Coors side. Um, but it but it is one that, that Coors, that the company, Miller Coors, has been pretty active in trying to use it like they use uh, Blue Moon and and promote uh, kind of the crafty the crafty side of things. It's their kind of, it's one of their craft labels now. Yeah, it has a very strong lemon scent. By the way, this could just be a lemon flavoring that they've added. I don't know. That's another possibility they haven't even... Huh. What kind of base beer do you think that is? Kind of like a, just a, a American wheat beer. Yeah, that's exactly what I assume as well. Which is kind of we the other the other shandy we have here is the Widmer Brothers Heffa Shandy, which is their Hefeweizen uh, American wheat beer uh, with let's see if this gives it away lemonade flavor. I've actually had that beer and it's uh, well we will you will taste it. Uh, um, they also use, so it's made with their regular classic Hefeweizen, uh, their their uh, flagship. But in this case, they made the Hefeweizen with a new hop known as Lemon Drop. Ah. And I wish that they had just made the Hefeweizen with Lemon Drop because I would love to taste that, uh, that hop and see if it tastes as lemony as it sounds. In the there you go, Widmer Brothers. Something to put on at the pub. Yeah. Robin Kirk, I know you're listening. So, uh, <laughs> oh, that's that's significantly better than the line of Google whole thing. Yeah, I've actually had this beer and I I quite enjoyed it. It's actually the the Hefeweizen is so if we if you start out with uh, let's say Mike's Hard Mango Punch mm -hmm. on the one end, which we can say is the least beer like, maybe Schmiernoff Ice, those two are the least beer like, and go all the way into beer with with half a shandy shandy you're kind of you're back into beer you're way into beer yeah. and, and in fact if you just poured somebody a pint of this 
they would probably think it's uh, just a regular wheat beer that somebody had used some lemon zest or something. It tastes very much just like a regular craft beer. Yeah, so here I finally seen on the label, and Leinenkugel's was natural lemonade flavor. So both of them use, using lemonade flavorings, not real lemonade. Uh, it is a Weiss beer, it says. And very, this is, I sorry I didn't see this before, but it's in very small print in light uh, letters. Uh, with honey and natural lemonade flavor. It does not say ABV, although I missed this before, so let me make sure. It doesn't say the, the alcohol content. But the Leinenkugels taste a little bit overly, overly flavored. It does. It, it, it's definitely a beer, but it's, it's mal, it's tending towards malternative. Yeah, yeah, you're sort of halfway here, I, I think. But the, but the Widmer is, is definitely a beer. The lemon is quite subtle and nice. The compliment, I would say, rather than a. And the shandies and the rattlers, in their native countries, were invented as summer tipples and they were supposed to be refreshing and somewhat restorative so not high alcohol and uh, and and uh Widmer Hefeshandy is only 4.2 so it's the kind of thing that uh you could take out on the back porch and drink a six pack of this over the course of an evening and um you wouldn't you know wouldn't die uh yeah Hefeshandy I don't know if you've mentioned this 4.2 percent yeah I just mentioned that okay. while you were checking your phone my, my apologies yeah uh so the other beer we have here is the Totally Rattler. And this one, I guess, the difference in the American versions is whether you have a, a lager base or not, because otherwise the lemon is pretty much the same. It's This one, the, however, is only 2.6% by volume. As Jeff mentioned, it's by a local Portland brewery called Hopworks. Uh, it is 15 IBUs. And well, let us find out. Hmm. Comes in a can. It's got a pretty cool label too. It's got a nice label. It's got a lemon and a hop, riding a tandem bike. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of cool. By the way, we didn't really mention, but both the Line and Kugels and the Heffa look like a, a Weiss beer. Look like an American wheat beer. They're light colored. They're sort of straw. Yeah, snowy um, heads. And this shandy. Uh, sorry, this Rattler is even lighter. Yeah, it kind um, of looks like a soda, almost. So one of the things that when I posted that we were going to do this uh, on the uh, the Facebook page, uh, a lot of people howled and said, you know, these are abominations. Um, you know, and why are we wasting our, our time doing this? But, but I think uh, one of the things I... I would say to them is there's no hard there there <laughs> you may say that uh, uh Mike's and Smirnoff and Strawberryita are abominations but there's there's a blend here and there always has been things like rattlers and shandies have always existed and, and flavored beers have always existed so there's always been some category of lighter uh fruitier sweeter mm -hmm. um, products and I, I it's not obvious to me that um, the category itself, so I think you could talk about specific products that are really terrible, uh, and some of these that we've tried today seem really terrible. But maybe the category itself is not irredeemable. Yeah, well, I don't, I mean, as, a, as, a, as an economist, I defend companies that are serving a market and uh, demand. So 
there are consumers out there that are looking for an alcoholic beverage that is, I suppose, easy drinking or sweet, and uh, and so I don't blame them for for following that demand where it takes them. Um, they've sometimes been knocked by marketing to uh, kids perhaps too young, so I won't defend them for that. But I think that um, uh, to the extent to which these companies are certainly figuring out what people want and selling to them, and clearly they want them because they're a growing share of the market, uh, I don't begrudge them that. What's interesting to me and why we included the Hefe Shandy and the Hopworks is that these are traditional craft brewers um, who are sort of branching out into different versions of things that are still beer for sure, um, but that are a little more approachable. Yeah, I think w one of the fascinating uh, uh, truths of of the the beer world is we're seeing uh, a kind of segmentation of flavors, and so from the 1940s after Prohibition through the 1980s, uh, through about 1980, there was just beer. There was beer flavored beer. There was almost nothing else out there. So if you if you wanted anything in this category, you were limited to a light lager. But when craft beer came, it was in the, the time of the 80s when we saw a bunch of products go through the same process of uh, diversification and there were all, you know, many more flavors came on the market. And the mass market kind of took a hit. And so at the same time that craft beer came on, the alternatives came on, the Alcopops. They were sort of expressions of a desire to have more flavors and, and uh, uh, that you can say that they're on total opposite ends and, and in some ways they are from a sensory perspective, but they're also part of the the, the process of uh, people looking for different flavors. People mm -hmm. always want more variety and more uh, exciting things. They don't want to stick with just the same old flavor over and over again. Yeah. So the, the Hopworks Rattler is interesting. It's a very low alcohol uh, beverage and it's, it's, almost hard to detect the beer it is it's like a soda it, it's very much like a lemon soda um and at that point it's hard to understand what what it is that you're looking for in terms of being a beer drinker especially at 2.6 percent it's they're not appealing to uh the party hardy guys obviously and they're not giving uh us beer fans a lot to sink our teeth into teeth into so it's um yeah, it's not objectionable in any way, but it's just a, a very it's a it's yet again a very different type of drink. Right. One thing we don't have here, but which uh, probably many people have have gotten wind of, is the alcoholic root beer. Um, mm -hmm. The small town brewery, I think it's called Small Town Brewery, not makes not your father's root beer, um, which is a six percent alcoholic root beer, which I I tasted and, and wrote an article for all about beer about that. Um, and it just tastes exactly like root beer. It's also sweeter than most root beers, even as a root beer. I, I found it not ideal just because it was it was so sweet. But mm -hmm. um, because it was made by a brewery uh, in their Chicago brewery that people already knew about, it has really been taken much more seriously by the beer geeks. And mm -hmm. so when you go into Beer Advocate beer and Rate Beer, you see it's just getting crazy positive reviews. And, and uh, <laughs> it's people are... are I think it's it's funny because it it because it's not freighted with the same kind of uh uh scarlet letter that Mike's hard mango punch has mm -hmm. you know it's not um 
this is just clearly for people who are unsophisticated and, and just want to get drunk. Um, because this root beer doesn't have that because it's associated with beer, people are able to approach it with kind of the cover of legitimacy. And I think they're, they're finding it really pleasurable as a, just as a root beer that, that has alcohol. So it is sort of funny um, that impression can matter so much in, in the way we regard these things. Yeah, I don't remember the name, but I recently came across a sort of a craft hard ginger beer as well. Oh, yeah. That's apparently the next frontier. Yeah. This, this little company that makes the hard lemon or the hard root beer, which actually it turns out they're not a little company. They went in business with Pabst to make this stuff, and now that's why it's got this big national uh, I see. But they're, they're going to make a ginger beer too, hard ginger beer. So it'll be interesting. I imagine that each individual product has a pretty, a pretty uh, short half-life and that they'll come and go. But I think the category, the segment, is probably something that is here to stay in many different iterations. And perhaps this root beer example is how it kind of it, it can itself become a bit crafty. Right. And I think it, so far, none of these beers are, none of these products are really in my wheelhouse, but I could envision, actually the, the Widmer is, but you could argue that it's not really in the category because it tastes just so much like a, just a beer. Um, I could imagine uh, drinking something like this that was pleasant, uh, that I enjoyed. It would probably need to be a little bit drier and have more citrus flavor without a lot of the sugar that we find in so many of these. As I don't really like sweet, even in beer, I like highly attenuated dry beers. Yeah, but um, but I, you know, I could imagine on a hot day with something nice and citrusy and light. Uh, if it was dry, more like a uh, fresh lime soda kind of thing, mm -hmm. as opposed to a super sweet lemonade, that would be really pleasant. Yeah, well, I think the thing that comes closest to that. I mean, it's pretty obvious that if you're a beer drinker and you're interested in these products the hefe shandy is the one that's it's definitely beer and it's got a fairly light touch of lemon and i find it quite pleasant um yeah i actively enjoy it I yeah would. the 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 hopworks rattler is really quite soda-y um and not an unpleasant soda but it's it's not very beery no um and very light in alcohol so a great thirst quencher, I suppose, um, if you want your thirst quencher with a tiny bit of alcohol. That's right. Uh, <laughs> that's I don't quite get that yet, but that's okay. Uh, the line of Kugels is, is I find, slightly unpleasant. Um, it's a little heavy on the, the lemon flavoring and um, a little sweet. Yeah, it's funny. It seems like it's possible that the, the process of the incredibly heavily industrial process of making these makes it hard for them to get a natural flavor from it. So when they put these other artificial flavors back in, it's not very flavorful. You know, it, it, the, each of them just has a, an artificiality yep. that uh, is, is, un, is unpleasant to certainly my palate and probably some people's palates. Yeah, and then the other four we have, the Twisted Tea I think is really horrible. Um, I wouldn't want to drink another sip of that. The Strawberryta is just about the most horrible thing yeah. imaginable. It's... It's like award-winningly bad. <laughs> <laughs> and yet incredibly popular, which just shows us once again that we're out of touch with the youngsters. That's okay. Out of yeah. touch with somebody. I'm quite I'm Maybe quite, we don't want to be in touch with those people. I'm I don't quite know. happy. Mike's hard. We have the Mike's hard mango punch, as we mentioned, not the not the lemonade stuff, but it's it's pretty awful. It's pretty chemically sweet and chemically. It may be the sweetest of all of them. It's it's quite sweet. And I would actually, I'll defend slightly the Smirnoff ice screwdriver. It's not, it's a little easier to drink 
not quite as sweet. Um, it does have this sort of odd uh, essence of vodka flavor. It gives you the the the, the sense of a of a screwdriver, but in that case, why not just have a screwdriver? Yeah, if you're at a party and the, all they have is uh, Smirnoff Ice Strawberry to Twisted Tea. That's right. Let's give you, yeah, let's give you some good advice. So you're at a party and this is what's <laughs> on offer. Uh, look for the Smirnoff Ice, I suppose. Yeah, I think I would endorse that also. But, if, but if, they, if they happen to have a, a Widmer's Hefe Shandy, definitely go for that. And if they offer you any of the Rita's, uh, ask for a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might as well. Uh, but I'm but I'm enthusiastic enough about the Widmer Hefe Shandy that I would say it's worth definitely going out and, and finding uh, and trying for yourself to see what you think of, of having these um, beer mixed with, with lemon. Especially if it's if one of these, we have another one of these weeks where it's pushing 100 every day. Yeah. And everything tastes too heavy and that's right. Or look for those session IPAs that we talked about in the last pod. That's right. The other, so the the point I wanted to make, the last sort of market economics point I wanted to make was that these big breweries have two sort of a two pronged attack, as far as I can tell, to deal with their declining market share of their traditional lines, the Buds and Bud Lights and Coors and Coors Lights. Within within markets, because one of the things they can do is continue to buy other companies in other markets and expand that way. Well, that's that was my point, which is one is to do this kind of stuff, is to try ah. to develop new markets. And the other is to uh, buy into the existing uh, fast-growing market, which is the craft beer market. And a couple weeks ago, I was on Vermont Public Radio talking about uh, this phenomena. And um, Anheuser-Busch InBev is sort of the big driver of this. They've gobbled up quite a few, including the local 10-barrel and... Um, uh, in Seattle, they Elysian. Elysian, thank you. I was uh, blanking on that for a moment. Uh, and uh, I blogged about this yesterday. It turns out that toll. sorry, Strawberita is taking it. The Strawberita is, is, is knocking me back. Um, just one sip. <laughs> I just had that one extra ounce. <laughs> That's right. Oh, it's the one extra it's ounce. The one that extra ounce that really carries the kick. Uh, so I blogged about this yesterday. That. Um, uh, the Folio newspaper in Sao Paulo reported that AMBEV, which is the Brazilian subsidiary of AB InBev, which is actually the one that sort of has gobbled up everything else, so it all comes from Brazil. Right. They have, interestingly, just bought out, out uh, Cervejaria Colorado down there, which is one of the uh, few, relatively few, craft breweries in Brazil. It's still a very small segment of the market there, although noticeably growing the year I lived there. The shelf space for craft beers was growing. Um, but Ambev down there brews Brahma and Skoll and some of these big macro lagers, which are even worse than the U.S. versions. Um, and uh, anyway, so Ambev bought out Cervejaria Colorado, which is particularly interesting for the development of craft beer elsewhere because the in Brazil... The um, beer market is particularly closed to mm -hmm. outside brewers. So this is like it is in Mexico, where two companies own the whole thing. Yeah, and and the tied relationships that occur in the brewing industry there are such that it's very very difficult to get your beer into bars and restaurants and uh, retail outlets. In fact, right. most places you go, they don't really have the traditional American bars, but mostly cafes that are sort of double as bars will be tied to one brewer. So you can get your Brahma and your Skoll there, or you can get uh, another brewery's beer there, but it's very hard to find these little craft beers. So this, I think, could be a real tectonic shift in craft 
brewing in Brazil at least, and maybe this is going to be true in other parts of Latin America, where suddenly a craft brewer has access to all of these tied relationships that exist within Ambev. So uh, in an essence, I think that they're really sort of following trends here. They might even be helping to create the trend in Brazil. Um, but it's interesting to see that this strategy now has kind of gone global. Right, which won't won't help the development of independent styles uh, and independent in in Brazil. It'll be hard for, you know, what happened in the United States was all the the, the way the beer market has been driven was by little companies that the big company making mm -hmm. beers the big companies could never have predicted. And in this case, the big companies will have their finger on that scale. Yeah, so I agree. Me, I, I agree, and that could be that that. That definitely could be a factor, but at the same time, you have to grow the market, and you have to grow the demand. And if people can't access the beer, and I would say that in, in, in a vanishingly small number of Brazilian consumers have actually even tasted sort of good craft beer, right. uh, that this might be a way that sort of cracks that, that door open um, and maybe creates space for new independent breweries to, uh, to evolve. Well, we'll have to go to Brazil so we can visit one of these uh, – Smaller breweries, maybe sometime that would be cool. Yeah. Okay. And to and to sort of uh, close the loop on something we raised last pod. Oh yeah. We talked about hot bursting, and I asked the question: uh, if hot bursting means you just add late edition hops um, and not early edition hops, then do you even bother uh, with a long boil, or you just do a 20 minute boil? And we actually got uh, an answer from Ben Edmonds at Breakside Brewing. He said, "What, Jeff?" Uh, he said, so actually I got two responses, one from a homebrew who said he, he does do this. And then I got an email from Ben Edmonds later and he said, no, you should never do that because, uh, one of the things that a boil does is it eliminates the DMS precursors, uh, that are, uh, a, a result of the malting process. And DMS is dimethyl sulfide, which will come from, uh, which would create a corn like flavor. So you want to have a long, vigorous boil to burn off all those precursors so you don't create DMS. So he said you need to do the full boil. So our home brewer, maybe he's not sensitive to DMS. Maybe he's got some secret trick, but that's what Ben told us. So we'll leave it there with Ben. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, we definitely run over our time here. So thanks very much for listening to the podcast. <laughs> We're getting good at that. We're getting good. We're getting longer each time. We'll, we'll try to stop that trend. It's, yeah. it's getting too long. Uh, we had a lot of progressive adult beverages to, to, <laughs> to sample today. Uh, okay, so how to get, how to be in touch? Of course, Jeff blogs at Beervana and at All About Beer. He tweets at at Beervana, uh, and you can uh, find him on the Beervana Facebook page as well. That's right. And Patrick blogs at uh, Beeronomics, and he actually blogs more frequently since we started the podcast. So that's a good encouraging trend. Um, and you can find him on Twitter at at Beeronomics. Uh, if you'd like to send us some feedback. You can either uh, find us at the Beervana Facebook page, or you can email at the underscore beeraxe at yahoo.com. Well, uh, I guess that's it for now. Um, we're both going to fight over the <laughs> the, the, the Widmer Hefe Shandy, but that's okay. I'll take the uh, I'll take the Rattler. Okay. And uh, we'll uh, say cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. Saoji. <laughs>